A warning, today's story involves murder, violence, incest, sexual assault, disease, and use of antiquated terminology. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story about Poroscoro, but a combination of stories and texts. Today's episode combines a number of legends and documents for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Every week, we dive into history's most legendary monsters. In telling the stories of their origins, we hope to shed light on some truths hidden behind the creations of these beasts, where they come from, what they symbolize, and how they expose some of humanity's greatest fears. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today we delve into Poroscoro, the Romani demon with command over the worst diseases known to man, cholera, smallpox, and the plague. It was the last child of a fairy queen and the king of the demons. Widely thought of as the worst of its siblings, this chimera struck fear in Roma people throughout the world. Coming up, a young Roma learns a lesson on cruelty. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The legend of Poroscoro comes from the Roma, a historically nomadic people that originated in northern India. Scholars dispute when exactly they left the region. The estimates range from as early as the 8th century to as late as the 11th. But as with all who transmit their stories via an oral tradition, the Roma past isn't clearly defined. One result of this muddled past is the Roma's misnomer, one that is now considered a slur, gypsy. Because of their dark complexion, when they arrived in Eastern Europe, they were thought to hail from Egypt. The mythology of the Romani is as disputed and hazy as their origins. As the group migrated across Asia toward Eastern Europe, they picked up bits and pieces of various beliefs. One of their most interesting tales is thought to combine pieces of folklore from an equally wide variety of cultures. It is the marriage of Anna, queen of the fairies, and Lokoliko, the king of the demons. It was a loveless marriage, one the queen only agreed to to save her subjects, and things only got worse once the pair were wed. 
Locolico repeatedly forced himself upon his wife. He hoped that the combined bloodlines of fairies and demons would create incomparable offspring. In a sense, it did. Anna's first pregnancy produced a nightmarish creature, Melalo, who caused mental illnesses. As soon as he was born, Melalo aided his father in his assaults on his mother, encouraging him to create more and more demonic siblings. With each pregnancy, the children got progressively worse. The final was the most wretched of them all. Its name was Porescoro. Porescoro had four dog heads and four cat heads atop the body of a bird. Its tail was a full snake with a forked tongue, and it was so odious that even its father, the king of the demons, was disgusted by it. He declared his marriage to Anna a failure and finally granted her a divorce. The separation led the couple's awful slew of children to be abandoned. They were left to live in a hole deep in the ground. They only emerged to wreak havoc upon humanity. None a havoc worse than Porescoros. Miro ran out of the Roma camp, excited to move on from the wandering life. He hated to leave his parents behind, but eventually they would understand. He wasn't made to be a nomad. He was tired of being treated like an outsider. Everywhere his family went, they were reviled. People claimed they were sorcerers or thieves. They were barred from taverns and inns, and constables followed them constantly. Then there was the endless singing and dancing, playing music and putting on shows in different towns, all in the hopes of a bit of spare change. Even as the best storyteller in his camp, Miro never made more than a few coins a night. He could recount every Roma myth and folktale in his sleep, but stories didn't fill his pockets with money or his stomach with food. His family's folktales were useless, and performing had begun to feel demeaning. Miro was ready to start over in Wallachia, where he hoped he'd make some real money, enough to pay for a cozy bed in the same town night after night, maybe even a modest home of his own. Miro was ready to become his own man. He had never heard of a factory before, but the prior evening he met the owner of one at one of his shows. The owner had nice leather shoes and told Miro he could make an outrageous sum of money working the looms if he worked. Miro accepted a job on the spot. He knew what hard work was. Putting up and taking down camp was always a challenge. Running a loom couldn't be that much harder, and from the sound of it, it was much more lucrative. When Miro arrived at the factory, he gawked as towering stacks pumped black smoke into the sky. The factory was an imposing stone structure that looked like it could withstand a cannon blast, bigger than some castles he'd seen. Miro pulled open the heavy red door and entered the structure, smiling. He was immediately greeted by a snarling, mustached bear of a man, his trunk-like arms folded across his chest. You must be the one the boss told me about. 
Let me make something clear. There will be none of that traveler talk here. This is Dimitri's factory, and you will act like a cultured Volokian. Miro eagerly nodded. Yes, sir, I left that life behind me. But Dimitri had no interest in Miro's newfound attitude. He groused under his breath as he guided Miro across the floor of the factory. Miro gawked at the enormity of it all. Looms the size of his horse sat in straight lines, like trees in an orchard. Workers' hands flew across them, faster than a flamenco player at her strings. He was in awe of everything. But the workers weren't so kind to Miro. As he walked past, each glanced out the sides of their eyes. They grumbled about the newcomer gunning for their jobs. They made jokes about him casting spells and stealing. But Miro shook off his discomfort and kept smiling. He had long ago developed a tolerance for ignorance. It was a necessity. Otherwise, he would be angry all the time. Miro knew what people thought of the Roma that they were mystical thieves who disappeared into the night. But he was going to prove the Volokians wrong. He would show them he was an honest man and a hard worker, a cultured man of society. Dimitri stopped the tour and pointed to the farthest loom. It looked like the oldest one in the entire factory. Get to work, he barked. Miro took his place. He could do this. He'd worked a loom before. It was the same thing, just much bigger. The machine roared to life. Miro worked the shuttle back and forth. The wool spun faster than he had ever seen. The gears rattled. The hum of a thousand looms filled the room with a deafening rattle. But Miro wasn't intimidated. He stayed focused on the task at hand until... A sprocket flew towards his face, hitting him smack between the eyes. Blood ran down Miro's face. He couldn't see, his eyes full of tears, but he could hear his new co-workers snickering. Dimitri chuckled from behind him. Looks like the new kid had an accident. I know technology isn't a strength of your people. Nero opened his eyes slowly. He was all right, but he could tell by the sneer on Dimitri's face this so-called accident was sabotage. He gritted his teeth. He wasn't going back to the camp. He'd just have to keep working. I've fixed looms before. Where do you keep the spare parts? Dimitri smiled. Down in the basement, but you're being paid to run the loom, not fix it. So you're off the clock. Miro stormed off without another word. He marched toward the back staircase. He'd grab a replacement sprocket, fix the loom, re-thread the spools. It would probably take the rest of his workday, but Miro was going to make it in the factory. He stomped down the stairs, descending into the darkness below. Miro pushed open the door and stepped into the basement. His shoulder slumped as his resolve faded. With its dirt floor and stone walls, the basement felt like a poorly organized cave. Barrels of raw wool, replacement parts, and old discarded looms littered the floor. 
If there was a system to the chaos, Miro couldn't tell what it was. He would spend half a day just looking for parts. But he gritted his teeth. He had no choice. If he wanted his new life, he would have to keep this job. He took a deep breath and dug through the first barrel. Suddenly, a loud, angry hiss rang out. A chill shot down Miro's spine. Maybe it's the furnace, he thought. The hiss shot through the basement again. Miro looked up from the barrel of gears. The burning, coal-fired furnace was in front of him. The sound had come from behind. Miro turned around. There was a hole in the wall Miro hadn't noticed. It was about knee height, just big enough for him to crawl inside if he wanted to. But Miro wasn't focused on the hole, he was focused on the noise. He could see two beady, glowing eyes peer out at him from the shadows. They inched closer. A head appeared in the light. Miro breathed a sigh of relief. It was a kitten. He suddenly felt very silly. Perhaps the stress of the new job had destroyed his focus. But soon, another kitten's head appeared next to the first, then another, then another. They looked like four of the exact same cat, all standing next to each other. Miro inched toward the kittens. You'll be fine, little ones. I'm a friend. He held his hand out. The kitten hissed again and scampered out from underneath the loom. Miro screamed with fright. It wasn't four kittens. It was one creature with four cat heads. Four dog heads rested behind the kitten ears atop a body of a fat crow. A snake slithered behind it, attached to the back of the bird, its forked tongue flicking up and down. Miro stood frozen in terror. He'd heard tales about the Poroscoro, but never believed it was real. He rubbed his eyes, certain he was seeing things, but it was still there, staring right back. He clutched his chest. If the rest of the myths were true too, then everybody in the factory was about to die. Coming up, Poroscoro takes over the factory. Pirates. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. In films like Pirates of the Caribbean, they're portrayed as swaggering anti-heroes. In books like Treasure Island, they're fearsome villains. But who were they really? That's the question that Real Pirates, the new Spotify original from Parcast, answers. The whole thing about a pirate ship is that they were heavily manned. But you could have 100 pirates on board, so these are floating violence factories. At the same time, pirates were really fascinating characters, in a way. If you were born poor, you stayed poor. Pirates, on the other hand, they were able to transcend that social boundary. They didn't see themselves just as thieves and brigands. They saw themselves as social revolutionaries. Set sail under the black flag alongside notorious outlaws like Blackbeard, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. Join us for episodes airing weekly starting November 15th. Follow and listen to Real Pirates for free on Spotify. Now back to the story. (laughs) 
Poroscoro stared at the young Romany boy with all 18 of his eyes. The beast hadn't planned on there being Roma in this factory. He wanted to kill Volokians. They were an imposing, vicious people worthy of conquering. He had crawled out of hell to infect them, the wicked, not a harmless Roma, already despised and hated, feelings Poroscoro understood. But now, this young Romany boy was standing in the way of the Valachians. Poroscoro's heads extended in all different directions as he tried to decide what to do next. No one knew more about Poroscoro and his family than the Roma. The boy could ruin everything for him. Poroscoro sprinted back toward his hole and shimmied his way through the mud and rock. The sounds of the factory faded behind him, replaced by the foul cries of his brothers and sisters. None of them were as deadly as he was, but they were far more ferocious. The incestuous, hateful beasts disliked every living thing, especially Poroscoro. He crawled around the last bend and came face to face with the grotesque rat face of his brother, Lomisho. His body was covered with infected sores and red blisters. A twisted grin pulled to the corner of his face. Lomisho cackled. I told you he would fail. Mean chest crow, come look at him. Poroscoro dropped his head. He had hoped to avoid Lomisho and Minchescrow, but it was too late. Minchescrow crawled across the ceiling of the cave, straight toward Poroscoro. The dung beetle hung overhead and laughed. Of course he did. The only thing he ever did right was ruin our chance to rule the world. Poroscoro knew it was pointless to defend himself, but he couldn't help it. Father abandoned us because he was scared of me. You two should be scared of me too. <laughs> His siblings roared with laughter. Lomisho pointed at him. <laughs> Do you hear that, love? <laughs> he thinks he's fearsome. Father wasn't scared of you. He hated you. You were too hideous for even the king of demons to love. Minchescro dropped from the ceiling and crawled across Poroscoro's heads, digging her tiny claws into him with each step. We could have had a thousand more brothers and sisters if he hadn't come along. Poroscoro snapped at his sister with a dog's head, but the beetle leapt toward her husband, shielding herself. You're weak, Poroscoro. Pestilence is wasted on you. I would have wiped out the Ottoman Empire if I had your powers. Poroscoro had enough. He whipped his body around, sending his snake mouth towards his siblings. Unfortunately, the two dove out of the way and Poroscoro turned up empty. Poroscoro hissed back. Ulcers and syphilis won't take over the earth, no matter how nasty you two might be. By the time I'm back, I'll have killed more than you two in both your lifetimes. The demon siblings stared at their brother, mouths agape. Poroscoro had never fought back against them like that before. Fueled by rage, Poroscoro disappeared into the darkness of the tunnel. 
By the end of the day, he was going to kill everyone in the factory. All he had to do was unleash his deadliest disease, the plague. Poroscoro scampered back into the basement, doing his best to stay in the shadows. The Roma boy stood with his back turned to the hole, face down in a barrel. He would never see it coming if I infected him, Poroscoro thought. But Poroscoro would be laughed at by his family if all he managed to kill was one measly child. Taking out a factory's worth of Volokians would be the only way to win their respect, and more importantly, their fear. The demon stayed out of sight and slid up the staircase. He followed the sound of the looms running. He could hear the braggadocious Volokians crowing from above. No one was more sure of themselves. Poroscoro darted around the floor of the factory, brushing up against the ankles of the workers as he ran by. The poorer one's toes stuck out from their worn-through work boots. Poroscoro licked them with his rough cat tongues. They barely noticed. In no time, Poroscoro had made his way across half of the factory floor. All of his mouths twisted into a smile. Soon they'll all be writhing in pain, and my true power will be on display for the whole world, he thought. Poroscoro turned his attention toward the biggest man in the factory. He had a broad chest and a curled mustache. The workers all gathered around him, which made Poroscoro assume he was their leader. He delighted in the thought of bringing down the biggest Volokian in the crowd. This one would get all the plague had to offer. He ran beneath a loom and crawled closer to the man. He heard the man shout about his plans to fire the newcomer. The group delighted in their boss's ploy, and Poroscoro burned with rage. They spoke of the Roma boy the same way his siblings spoke of him. Useless, the least worthy of respect. They'd laugh at you too, Poroscoro thought. Then Poroscoro charged toward the man's feet. In the basement, Miro stared into the barrel of gears, trying to find his broken part, but he couldn't stop thinking about what he had just seen. Poroscoro darting across the floor and into a hole in the wall. Maybe it was just my imagination, Miro thought. It could have been the stress of the day. He had told the story of Poroscoro and his family at least a hundred times. Maybe the anxiety of his new life manifested into the scariest thing he knew, Poroscoro. Miro took steady, deep breaths and assured himself that's what it had to be. After all, he had never heard of anyone alive seeing Poroscoro in person. A scratching noise pulled his attention from the barrel. Miro turned toward the noise. It sounded like it was coming from the hole. That has to be the mother, Miro thought. But he wanted to be sure. Miro got on his hands and knees and inched toward the hole. Here, kitty. The hole was impossibly dark, somehow darker than all the other shadows in the basement. 
he crawled in. Suddenly, he froze. He swore he heard voices. It sounded like they were coming from the hole. Miro sat up and turned his ear toward the factory above. He could barely hear the looms turning on the factory floor. There's no way the voices were bleeding through the floorboards. Hello? Miro called out. There was no answer, but the chatter didn't stop. He crawled deeper into the hole. The voices got louder. The tunnel narrowed. Miro's body barely fit into the space, but he had just enough room to squeeze himself a bit farther. While it was cool in the factory basement, the muddy floor of the tunnel was steamy. Far in the distance, he could see a point of light, a fiery flame burning at a pinpoint of an exit. And now, Miro could make out a voice, a tiny, raspy hiss. I can't wait for Porascoro to fail. I'm going to eat his heart when he does. Miro froze. He was wrong. Porascoro was real which meant he was staring at the mouth of hell. Coming up, Miro tries to save the factory. Now back to the story. Miro stared at the exit of the tunnel, watching flames burn. The voices he heard weren't imaginary, and neither was Porascoro. All the folk tales he told night after night in villages across Europe were real. Suddenly, a red mouse scampered across the entrance of the tunnel. Miro bit his lip to keep from screaming. Its flesh looked like it had been scorched in a fire, and then it opened its mouth. He thinks his sores are the only ones that can kill. I've tortured countless humans. Miro couldn't believe his eyes. It was the red mouse, Lomisho, the demon of skin sores, Porascoro's older brother. They're all down here. Lili, Bitoso, Minchescrow, all of the demons. Miro panicked. He shuffled himself backward and crawled as quickly as he could out of the hole. Back in the basement, Miro dusted himself off. He had to warn Dimitri and the others. Disease would take down all the workers, and he wouldn't be able to start his new life if there was no factory at all. Miro threw open the doors and ran toward Dimitri. Dimitri grabbed a wrench and raised it above his head. Stay back, you wretch. Miro slammed to a stop. Out of breath, he tried to talk. Everyone must leave, right now. Otherwise, we're all going to die. Porascoro is here. Dimitri stared at Miro, confused. Who? Miro looked around at the other factory workers. All of them were as confused as Dimitri. Volakians knew nothing of Roma demons. None of them understood the danger. Miro gathered himself. His words were clear. A demon from hell. It has eight heads and kills everything it touches. It will kill us and our families in the most excruciating manner imaginable. Dimitri glared at Miro. 
You're one of those storytellers, aren't you? You having a bit of fun at my expense? Make a joke of Dimitri? Miro pleaded. I was a storyteller, but that isn't what this is. I saw the demon. Dimitri stomped toward Miro, clutching his wrench. I don't want to hear any more of your Roma talk. I've already had half my workers leave sick. Take over an empty loom. If you so much as look up, you're fired. Miro watched as a trickle of blood ran from beneath Dimitri's mustache. Miro stumbled backward. Suddenly, he realized the looms had stopped. He glanced down at Dimitri's hand. His fingers had turned black. Miro shook his head. It's too late. Excruciating sobs filled the air. Miro spun around. His jaw fell open. Men were strewn across the floor, wailing in agony. He ran toward the nearest one. The worker was doubled over in pain, sweat pouring from his forehead. His skin was pallid. Miro leaned down to help him, but the man gurgled out, You brought this here. Blood oozed out of the man's mouth. Miro jumped back. He ran to the next station. It was the same everywhere. Blood poured out of his co-workers' eyes. Some vomited up nasty mixtures of bile and gruel. Others wallowed in their own feces, in far too much torment to be disgusted. Miro tried to find Dimitri, but the foreman was gone. The coward must have ran for safety. The plague had taken over in an instant. Miro tried to block out the cries. He grabbed the wrench Dimitri had dropped and sprinted across the floor, past his broken station. He hadn't even made it a day in the Valachian's world, but he didn't care. He was done with this place. Miro didn't look down as he sprinted across the floor, his eyes locked on the front door. Suddenly, Miro tripped and stumbled to the ground. He landed with a thud. Something had grabbed his foot. Miro rolled over onto his back. Staring back in horror was Dimitri. His hand was a bloody stump. Nothing more than a pinky and a thumb remained. The gangrene had worked its way halfway up his forearm. The lip beneath his mustache had rotted off. The whites of Dimitri's eyes were now blood red. He begged Miro, kill me. Miro kicked his foreman away and jumped to his feet. Dimitri and the Volokians were on their own. He was almost to the door. All he had to do was turn and run. But standing between Miro and the door was Porascoro. All nine heads hissed at Miro at once. It was a sound nearly as horrible as the screams of the dying behind him. Miro glanced at the wrench and back toward the demon. Miro froze. Porascoro hissed, you die too. Miro dropped the wrench. He raised his hands in the air in surrender. I heard your siblings talking. They don't fear you, but I do. Miro inched toward the side. 
The demon's eyes followed him every step, but it didn't lunge or snap, it only stared. Without taking his eyes off the demon, Miro reached back and opened the door. He pushed it open and ran. Miro ran without looking back, heading towards his camp. He'd survived because he knew the Roma stories, knew to fear Porascoro. And now he was going to tell those stories as long as he lived. And for the first time, moving on to the next town didn't seem so bad. While all Roma tales are combinations of various traditions, Porascoro is believed to date back hundreds of years to the region we know as modern-day Iran. Throughout a long millennia of wandering across Asia and Europe, few groups have been subject to as much vitriol. The Roma have been blamed for all sorts of problems by local governments. Everything from crime rates to poverty have been laid at their feet. They've been a convenient scapegoat for unimaginative officials without real solutions for their community's problems, including disease. For most of human existence, few phenomena have been less understood than the spread of disease. Our current understanding of germ theory didn't arise until the 19th century, and the use of sterilized protective equipment such as masks and coats wasn't popular until the 1900s. Without scientific understanding, deadly outbreaks were often blamed on otherworldly creatures, such as Porascoro, or on outside groups like the Roma, mysterious unknowns that rarely had the capacity to defend themselves. But a society's problems rarely have a single source, and scapegoats are almost always just that, scapegoats. The socially designated other, or the monster from hell, is not the problem. In fact, scapegoating itself may be the most dangerous force of all, even if it doesn't have nine hissing heads and an arsenal of scratchy, plague-carrying tongues. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemec and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For centuries, the world has been fascinated by them. Blackbeard, Charles Vane, and Bonnie. Who were they really? Real Pirates is a new Spotify original from Parcast. Join us starting November 15th as we bring the true story of pirates to life.